Chapter Fifteen, Part B of the Monastery by Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, Part B. Fairest protection, continued the courtier, not even honouring with a look, far less with a direct reply, the threat of the incensed Halbert. Doubt not that thy faithful affability will be more commoved by the speech of this Rudesby than the bright and serene moon is perturbed by the baying of the cottage cur proud of the height of his own dunghill which in his conceit lifteth him nearer unto the majestic luminary to what lengths so unsavoury a simile might have driven halbert's indignation is left uncertain for at that moment edward rushed into the apartment with the intelligence that two most important officers of the convent the kitchener and refectioner were just arrived with a sumpter mule loaded with provisions announcing that the lord abbot the sub-prior and the sacristan were on their way thither a circumstance so very extraordinary had never been recorded in the annals of st mary's or in the traditions of glendearg though there was a faint legendary report that a certain abbot had dined there in old days after having been bewildered in a hunting expedition amongst the wilds which lie to the northward but that the present lord abbot should have taken a voluntary journey to so wild and dreary a spot the very kamchatka of the halidome was a thing never dreamt of and the news excited the greatest surprise in all the members of the family saving halbert alone this fiery youth was too full of the insult he had received to think of anything as unconnected with it i am glad of it he exclaimed i am glad the abbot comes hither i will know of him by what right this stranger is sent hither to domineer over us under our father's roof as if we were slaves and not freemen. I will tell the proud priest to his beard." "'Alas, alas, my brother,' said Edward, "'think what these words may cost thee.' "'And what will or what can they cost me,' said Halbert, "'that I should sacrifice my human feelings and my justifiable resentment to the fear of what the abbot can do?' "'Our mother, our mother!' exclaimed Edward. "'Think, if she is deprived of her home, expelled from her property, how can you amend what your rashness may ruin?' "'It is too true, by heaven,' said Halbert, striking his forehead, then stamping his foot against the floor to express the full energy of the passion to which he dared no longer give vent, he turned round and left the apartment. Mary Avenel looked at the stranger knight, while she was endeavouring to frame a request that he would not report the intemperate violence of her foster-brother to the prejudice of his family in the mind of the abbot. But Sir Piercy, the very pink of courtesy, conjectured her meaning from her embarrassment, and waited not to be entreated. "'Credit me, fairest protection,' said he. "'Your affability is less than capable of seeing or hearing, far less of reciting or reiterating, aught of an unseemly nature which may have chanced while I enjoyed the Elysium of your presence. The winds of idle passion may indeed rudely agitate the bosom of the rude, but the heart of the courtier is polished to resist them as the frozen lake receives not the influence of the breeze, even so the voice of Dame Glendinning, in shrill summons, here demanded Mary Avenel's attendance, who instantly obeyed, not a little glad to escape from the compliments and similes of this court-like gallant. Nor was it apparently less a relief on his part, for no sooner was she past the threshold of the room than he exchanged the look of formal and elaborate politeness which had accompanied each word he had uttered hitherto for an expression of the utmost lassitude and ennui, and after indulging in one or two portentous yawns, broke forth into a soliloquy. What the foul fiend sent this wench hither? 
as if it were not sufficient plague to be harboured in a hovel that would hardly serve for a dog's kennel in England, baited by a rude peasant-boy, and dependent on the faith of a mercenary ruffian, but I cannot even have time to muse over my own mishap, but must come aloft, frisk, fidget, and make speeches, to please this pale, hectic phantom, because she has gentle blood in her veins. By mine honour, setting prejudice aside, the mill-wench is more attractive of the two. But Patienza, Piercy Shafton, thou must not lose thy well-earned claim to be accounted a devout service of the fair sex, a witty-brained, prompt, and accomplished courtier. Rather thank heaven, Piercy Shafton, which hath sent thee a subject wherein without derogating from thy rank, since the honours of the Avenel family are beyond dispute, thou mayest find a whetstone for thy witty compliments, a strop whereon to sharpen thine acute engine, a butt whereat to shoot the arrows of thy gallantry. For even as a Bilboa blade, the more it is rubbed, the brighter and sharper will it prove. So, but what need I waste my stock of similitudes in holding converse with myself? Yonder comes the monkish retinue, like some half-score of crows winging their way slowly up the valley. I hope, agad, they have not forgotten my trunk-mails of apparel amid the ample provision they have made for their own belly-timber. Mercy, agad, I were finally helped up if the vesture has miscarried among the thievish borderers. Stung by this reflection, he ran hastily downstairs, and caused his horse to be saddled, that he might, as soon as possible, ascertain this important point, by meeting the Lord Abbot and his retinue as they came up the glen. He had not ridden a mile before he met them advancing with the slowness and decorum which became persons of their dignity and profession. The knight failed not to greet the Lord Abbot with all the formal compliments with which men of rank at that period exchanged courtesies. He had the good fortune to find that his mails were numbered among the train of baggage which attended upon the party, and satisfied in that particular, he turned his horse's head and accompanied the abbot to the tower of Glendearg. Great in the meanwhile had been the turmoil of the good dame Elspeth and her coadjutors, to prepare for the fitting reception of the father lord abbot and his retinue. The monks had indeed taken care not to trust too much to the state of her pantry, but she was not the less anxious to make such additions as might enable her to claim the thanks of her feudal lord and spiritual father. Meeting Halbert, as, with his blood on fire, he returned from his altercation with her guest, she commanded him instantly to go forth to the hill, and not to return without venison, reminding him that he was apt enough to go thither for his own pleasure, and must now do so for the credit of the house. The miller, who was now hastening his journey homewards, promised to send up some salmon by his own servant. Dame Elspeth, who by this time thought she had guests enough, had begun to repent of her invitation to poor Mysie, and was just considering by what means, short of giving offence, she could send off the maid of the mill behind her father, and adjourn all her own aerial architecture till some future opportunity, when this unexpected generosity on the part of the sire rendered any present attempt to return his daughter on his hands too highly ungracious to be farther thought on. So the miller departed alone on his homeward journey. Dame Elspeth's sense of hospitality proved in this instance its own reward, for Mysie had dwelt too near the convent to be altogether ignorant of the noble art of cookery, which her father patronized to the extent of consuming on festival days such dainties as his daughter could prepare in emulation of the luxuries of the abbot's kitchen. Laying aside, therefore, her holiday kirtle, and adopting a dress more suitable to the occasion, the good-humoured maiden, 
bared her snowy arms above the elbows, and as Elspeth acknowledged, in the language of the time and country, took entire and a fold part with her, in the labours of the day, showing unparalleled talent, and indefatigable industry, in the preparation of mortreux, blanc-manger, and heaven knows what delicacies besides which Dame Glendinning, unassisted by her skill, dared not even have dreamt of presenting. Leaving this able substitute in the kitchen, and regretting that Mary Avenel was so brought up that she could entrust nothing to her care, unless it might be seeing the great chamber strewed with rushes and ornamented with such flowers and branches as the season afforded, Dame Elspeth hastily donned her best attire, and with a beating heart presented herself at the door of her little tower, to make her obeisance to the Lord Abbot as he crossed her humble threshold. Edward stood by his mother, and felt the same palpitation which his philosophy was at a loss to account for. He was yet to learn how long it is ere our reason is enabled to triumph over the force of external circumstances, and how much our feelings are affected by novelty, and blunted by use and habit. On the present occasion he witnessed with wonder and awe the approach of some half-score of riders, sober men upon sober palfreys, muffled in their long black garments, and only relieved by their white scapularies, showing more like a funeral procession than aught else, and not quickening their pace beyond that which permitted easy conversation and easy digestion. The sobriety of the scene was indeed somewhat enlivened by the present of Sir Piercy Shafton, who, to show that his skill in the menage was not inferior to his other accomplishments, kept alternately pressing and checking his gay courser, forcing him to piaf, to caracol, to passage, and to do all the other feats of the school to the great annoyance of the Lord Abbot, the wanted sobriety of whose palfrey became at length discomposed by the vivacity of its companion, while the dignitary kept crying out in bodily alarm, "'I do pray you, Sir Knight, good now, Sir Piercy, be quiet!' Benedict, there is a good steed, so, poor fellow, and uttering all the other precatory and soothing exclamations by which a timid horseman usually bespeaks the favour of a frisky companion, or of his own unquiet nag, and concluding the bead-roll with a sincere Deo gracias, so soon as he alighted in the courtyard of the Tower of Glendearg. The inhabitants unanimously knelt down to kiss the hand of the Lord Abbot, a ceremony which even the monks were often condemned to. Good Abbot Boniface was too much fluttered by the incidents of the latter part of his journey to go through this ceremony with much solemnity, or indeed with much patience. He kept wiping his brow with a snow-white handkerchief with one hand, while another was abandoned to the homage of his vassals, and then signing the cross with his outstretched arm, and exclaiming, Bless ye, bless ye, my children. He hastened into the house, and murmured not a little at the darkness and steepness of the rugged winding stair, whereby he at length scaled the spence destined for his entertainment, and overcome with fatigue, threw himself, I do not say, into an easy chair, but into the easiest the apartment afforded. End of chapter 15, part B.